Thanks everyone so much. It's been an awesome year to spend with all of you. Uh, and of course, Carlos, Caco, Team Spain. Uh, it's been a pleasure spending the last two years with you, so. No, no, you've timed out. Oh, where did I time out at? Uh, I got the uh, Team Spain. Start again from after that. Ah, Team Spain. Yeah, Team Spain. Thank you so much for the last two years. It's been very enjoyable. Um, thanks for, for teaching me a few things. and it's been a pleasure. And uh, best of luck on your next step. Cheers, Carlos. Vamos! Yellen! You nailed it this weekend, man. Vamos! Well done, mate. Top job this weekend and the whole season. Thank you for welcoming this year into Lando and for many years more together. Well done today. Well done yesterday. Top job. I actually think I might be crying. Lando, great job. Yeah, great no. job, Lando. <laughs> Cheers, Zach. Yo, dude. And we are back for another episode of Rear of the Grid. My name is Jashan and I will be hosting this week because Matthew Hume has eloped to Dorigo hey. for reasons unknown. Thankfully, our third member, Spencer Hudson, has remained loyal. How are you going today, Spencer? Doing good. Feeling loyal, right. uh, much like uh, McLaren was to the uh, third spot in the Constructors' Championship. Thank you very much. Ricardo 2021. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Congratulations, congratulations. Grazie. We will review Yas Marina this week, which obviously resulted in McLaren's <clears throat> midfield victory. We'll talk about that midfield battle as it uh, goes on to next season and the years moving forward. We'll talk about Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen, a match made in heaven. And we'll talk about how Sebastian Vettel is going to, I guess, turn his career around, shall we say, for Aston Martin. All that and more on this week's episode of Rear of the Grid. All right, and we are back in review of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix over at Yas Marina. It was pretty dull viewing, it must be said, but Max Verstappen comes away with a handy victory. What were a few, um, I guess, highlights from the race that uh, you know to Spencer? Because I am struggling to think of any. Oh, that's that's it, hey. Um, it's a great start by, by Verstappen. Um, primarily, he's been a slow starter, but did pretty well um, getting the inside line. Um, I think they did really well to get out of turn one because Bottas did a classic Bottas, which is kind of mess up his start in that first turn um, and sort of Constantino oh, yeah. everybody else back. Um, then kind of a blank spot. Um, Perez's engine blew up, which was a little bit disappointing for his season. Um, and I guess particularly at that time as well because we didn't really know what was going to happen in the future. Um, yes. And I don't know. I, I was hoping the safety car might bring a little bit of, you know, drama to the, to the action, but... Um, it was probably a little bit too early because it sort of, um, you know, hamstrung all the cars that ran on the hard compound. Um, and Max was just able to just pull away from the Mercedes. And that was yeah. pretty much, that was pretty much the race for the rest of the way. He pulled the Mercedes on the yeah, Mercedes. He just put time between them and just kind of cruising the entire, the entire race. 
But yeah, like you mentioned, the blank spot. Most of the race was a blank spot, I reckon. I think towards the end, Martin Brundle was just talking about computers mm-hmm. and how he doesn't trust computers. I was like, yeah. They just, enough. yeah, like they, like it's it's a weird track every derby because it's one of those ones where they sort of, you know, in the F1 video games or in theory, it's a pretty fun track. But I think particularly these cars this year, um, and, you know, they talked about it a lot, like Hamilton spoke about it a lot at the, the end of the race for sort of next year. It's just so difficult to overtake. And, like, the yeah. double DRS point just kind of, like, it just doesn't make sense, right? Because if one car gets, like, is behind on that first DRS point, they normally overtake them. And then coming into the second DRS point, the car that just got overtaken then just takes that spot back. Yeah. And it just keeps on going mm-hmm. over and over. And as we know, those cars do not like spending time behind another car for more than four to five laps. So you've either got to get the overtake done or just start sitting back or risk your tyres doing that job for you. And David Crosh mentioned a few times whether it's worth considering, I guess, redesigning the track layout. And I saw a poll online from Formula World hosted by Dylan Shelley. He, he, he asked the same question, should the layout be changed? I think it was 85% of people voted yes. Which you know is very telling. Mm-hmm. It's just it's not conducive to good races. Yeah, like no F one race is is boring. But if you look at the highlights of twenty twenty, it was a bit of a disappointing race. That you know that's how the season kind of ended with all the great races that we had this year. Like there was just there yeah. was no drama, just at all. And like you said, there was, there was Max yeah. doing a Mercedes, really. <laughs> Pretty much. There was a bit of interesting where under the safety car, the Ferraris chose not to pit mm. their drivers. Yeah. And um, leave them out, hoping to gain like track position and just hold on to that. Didn't work. Absolutely not. They ended no. up finishing 13th and 14th, respectively, in a really lackluster finish to their season. Yeah, Charles and um, Seb both had some choice words um, about <laughs> that, pretty much saying that they didn't really agree with it. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it was just one of those things where, you know, like we talk about frequently, like, you know, people getting lucky with safety cars and, you know, betting on something to happen. Um, and that just wasn't the, the thing that the Ferraris needed. Because I think was, I think Seb was on the hards, but I think Charles was on the mediums. But sounds right, yeah. They just, they just got stuck behind the train and that Ferrari hasn't really been able to overtake at all this well, year, really. No. Um, They've had such a bad year. We'll get into more detail later with, with the constructors and whatnot, but they finished sixth in the constructors, which is their worst finish since 1980. Shit. Which is, yeah, 40 fucking years. Wowee. Um, it's just crazy to think about. And, you know, it's hard to blame the, the, the drivers. You've got Shia Leclerc, who's widely regarded as one of the best drivers on the grid, and Seb Vettel's a four-time world champion, so the blame... Is elsewhere, in my humble opinion. Oh, definitely. Um, like, I definitely think that Charles raced a lot harder than Seb, but that's, you know, that's pretty that's pretty fair. Like, you know, Seb gave everything he mm. did for Ferrari for the last four or five years, was unable to come up with anything um, against that Mercedes. And um, I think it's... I think if Ferrari can look at anything from this season is that they've got a great... You know, replacement coming in and Carlos, obviously, um, who can bring a yeah, lot of. He looks good in red. Oh yeah, he does. He looks very he looks in good red. in anything. <laughs> um, but I think it showed that Charles definitely proved a little bit of um, leadership this year by 
like trying to be as calm and composed as possible um, in the post-race interviews. Anytime he crashed or did something wrong, he profusely apologised, like whether it was Max at um, Bahrain or Seb in Austria. Like he's getting, and I think this is the best season where if you think, you'd hope that this is the last season that Ferrari have like this for a while because it, it doesn't feel right having the Ferrari sort of languishing that far back in the grid. No, it's weird. Um, and without mm. them this year, like Mercedes ran away with it even more than any. I mean, at least, you know, they were still pretty dominant last year, but it was, you know, there were some tracks that suited the Ferrari, some tracks that suited the Red Bull a little bit more than the other. And there was a little bit of to and fro where really like, unless it was divine intervention from the F1 gods or Max Verstappen, there was just nobody that was in a stone's throw of Hamilton or Bottas. I don't, I've never been a yeah. fan um, yeah, of Abu, Abu Dhabi being the final race in the season. Um, I think it'd be nah. much more. I think it'd be well, much more well received if it was early in the season, um, and you sort of kept one of those, uh, not necessarily one of the marquee tracks, um, but you know maybe something a little bit more fun. Like I, hundred percent. I mean, probably just Brazil. I think it was much better. Um, Brazil's a great track, like Interlagos. Um, it's been the yeah. the last track, but I think it's just that's the the politics and the money coming into it. I think um, absolutely. Abu Dhabi the next year ending on Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi, like back to back. Ah shit! It's just Yay. so obvious. <laughs> it doesn't. I don't know. Like I don't. I don't understand why. Because I, I definitely like lately. Most of those races have already been like there's nothing to drive for pretty much like yeah. it's already been won yeah. but even then when uh geez when would it have been 2016 when Rosberg won the title and the last race was in Abu Dhabi um there wasn't really any fun overtaking it was just Hamilton was trying to Constantina everybody else up to try to overtake Rosberg but he held off because there's flat out nowhere to overtake on the friggin' track yeah so mm-hmm and, you know, there's one of the you know the greatest moments in F1 history, or at least what Sky Sports will tell you, probably because of the bloke that won the championship that day. But <laughs> Lewis Hamilton overtaking Glock to beat Massa um, in Interlagos, like that's one of the all-time great F1 moments. Yeah. Um, and I just, there haven't been many of those at all in Abu Dhabi. It's a very... Yeah, it's Marina. It's a yeah. fast track. It's flowy, but that's the thing, right? Like if the car's always going fast around and it's got a really high top speed, there's very limited options to do anything other than just either keep a gap from the car in front of you or try to pull away from the car behind you kind of thing. Yeah. It almost feels like a hollow. I mean, props to Max Verstappen, um, leading lights to lights, got his second second victory Mm -hmm. of the season, his 11th podium in 17 races. He finished third, only nine points behind Bottas, and, and winning here was, I think the first non-Mercedes team to actually win at Yas yeah. Marina, like under the hybrid turbo era. So they ended the six-year streak there, which was awesome. But it feels almost hollow because it's just... Uh, I, I personally, I think of Max Verstappen as a very exciting driver who's always kind of embroiled in something that's you know will, will pique your interest. And just... It was, I, I couldn't yeah. even watch this. Yeah, race. the Mercedes just didn't seem to have um, any real pace at all and there was a little bit of speculation as to like what that was um but like we see i thought it was them sort of protecting their their stuff for next year but then lewis and valtteri then do dollies after the race um and i honestly just wonder if like (laughs) 
I don't know, like, did Mercedes even care? Because, like, even the reactions from Toto and Lewis and Valtteri and everybody Mercedes related after the race, they were very much just like, oh, yeah, you know, good job to Red Bull. We just didn't have the pace this weekend. You know, we it's a long season. Like, obviously, we would have liked more, but a double podium is good. And it's almost just something where it feels like, you know, they're almost doing F1 a favor by just letting somebody else win or something like that. I don't know. Like, it was just so yeah. <laughs> so anticlimactic. Yeah, we'll give you this weekend, mate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But. It wasn't great. I'm sick of talking about Abu Dhabi because it's shit. And I'm just going to put that out there right now. I do not race as one <laughs> with either Abu Dhabi or Saudi Arabia, to be fucking frank. But uh-huh, uh-huh. one thing that will perk our interest is talking about the off-season. Oh, yeah. The magical, magical place where we can put our tinfoil hats on whenever we see somebody change their Twitter bio or we can (laughs) – literally every team is now back to zero. So anything we say right now, A, could be right, B, can't be argued by Hume, and C – I don't really got C, but – We don't have C. We've we've tapped out at B. That's all right. That's okay. Let's just start. Let's go from B. Let's go from B straight to M. Let's work on Mercedes. Yes, I like that. Let's do it. Mm. Shout out to Lewis Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Came back from COVID. Yeah, podium. His fourteenth podium of the season in sixteen races. Fourteen podiums in sixteen races is fucking ridiculous. And he will have Shit. his daddy with him for the next three years. Toto Wolf has resigned for mm-hmm. three more seasons. Um, in doing so under, I don't know, do you pronounce it INEOS or I-N-E-O-S? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I think it's INEOS. INEOS, okay. So INEOS is brought into the team. They will take an even uh, third stake in the team, along with Daimler, who are the Mercedes parent company, and Toto Wolf himself also owns 33% of the team. <laughs> which I didn't realize that. Jesus yet. Christ. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he owns man. 33% of the entire operation. He is Mercedes' daddy. It's ridiculous. But how important was this for Mercedes to re-sign Toto Wolff for three seasons? Oh, it's, it was huge. Um, you know, it's getting to the end of the turbo hybrid era. Um, and I watched a little video that Mercedes put out on their Instagram the other day about a 60 seconds of what Toto Wolff does. And, you know, in <laughs> pure Toto Wolff fashion, he sort of downplays everything. Um you know, talks about like how he doesn't, he can't do anything without his engineers, and all he really tries to do is to, you know, create a platform for everybody to work from, and like, you know, talks to sponsors and yada yada yada. But it's Toto, it's Toto Wolf. Like any, like he walks into any boardroom mm-hmm. or meeting with a sponsor, like they're just going to be grinning ear to ear. To ear. Um, I think three yeah. years is huge. Um, obviously, that's three years of not having to worry, and also three more years of being able to sort of, you know start like if he is going to move along um to start a you know sort of procession plan so it doesn't end up like what happened with ferrari where as soon as everybody started to either get fired or leave they were just sort of left with nothing Hmm. um and i think three years as well is a good commitment um from toto for mercedes to sort of tell them that he's he wasn't just there for the good times like he does so obviously we've got so three years would bring him to the end of 2024 so we've got one more season mm. in 2021. No, 2023, sorry. 2023, We've got yeah. one more year. It takes them into exactly. the new era of Formula 1. So we'll be under contract for two years of that new, um, the new regs. Um, and, th- I mean, it's bad news for everybody else in F1, I think. Yes. Um, because, yes. like, what, 
what are you, what are you going to do? Like they've literally got the the perfect from top to bottom. It seems just everybody is outperforming, except for the pit crew. Obviously, you've got a shout out to Red Bull's pit crew, um, <laughs> but everywhere else, and it just it almost seems boring oh talking about God. Mercedes, right? Like if they don't win the championship or they don't get the double championship and they don't feature on the podium in every single race, it's almost a bad season for them, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's why these new regs are so exciting. Even the, the new budget cap should, in theory, just hold everyone a bit more accountable and make it a bit more competitive. But interestingly enough, um, the president, I think it's the president, Ola Kalenius, uh, claims there are four pillars that help Mercedes make the decision to commit to F1 because throughout the year there's been speculations that maybe, okay, they've won all these titles, maybe they, Mercedes will just you know step out, step away, um, and, and stop supporting Formula 1. But um, Kalenius claimed that, A, the show this year has been really, really good, and if you think about all the great races we've, we've had, like in Mugello, Monza, um, earlier on in Austria and Styria, Hungary has been, was really impressive. Uh, the fact that F1 has made a push towards social media um, and a push towards esports, which has helped F1 reach a younger demographic, was something that Mercedes want a part of and want to be a part of in the coming years. They also mentioned that the F1's focus on the environment, with their goal of becoming carbon neutral by twenty thirty, was something that aligns that uh, something that aligns with Mercedes' goals. And then he actually mentioned the cost cap implementation as a factor as to why they want to stay in the sport because it will make the sport more financially sustainable and it will theoretically make yeah. it easy for companies to turn a profit, which is obviously something that like, everyone likes. You want to hate Mercedes even more because of all that stuff <laughs> that they do, right? Like when they when they lost um, or when, yeah, when Russell and Bottas both flamed out at the end they were, you know, nothing but, um, you know, warm and welcome to Sergio Perez and gave him, like, all of his props. Like, their social media team is always, like, absolutely zinging themselves. Like, they absolutely tore themselves in U1 for the pit stop debacle yeah. and all the drama. Um, and then, yeah, like, they they even want to do, like, you know, they want to make it, you know, more competitive. And it, it probably even is that yeah. thing, right, where it's something where, like, Mercedes don't want to lose, Right. So I reckon if the regs were put differently where, like, teams like Mercedes were going to be punished unfairly, then they might have just decided to, you know, flick on out of there. But the fact now that, like, and the thing is as well is that, like, they've got to downsize all the stuff that they're doing, whereas, like, a lot of these teams are still going to have to use the next two or three seasons to try to, like, you know, start to build upon this. For Mercedes, it's perfect, right, because they can they can slowly but surely start sort of, like, like offshoring all of the stuff that maybe is requiring too much money but like yeah it's they still got a great car right they've still got great facilities they've still got great everything so even if they have their budget i think they spent like like 560 million last year or something like that i think the new budget yeah, like isn't the budget cut now going to be like 160 or something like that like maybe a, yeah and it'll, it'll go progressively down um, each year until it's around, I think, 120 million yeah. will be the cap moving forward. Like, it's, and it's going to make things more more interesting for sure because, like, now a team that has been like this good is like they're now not able to spend five times as much as what 
they were before. But I think to them, it's almost like a little challenge to sort of say to everybody else that like it wasn't just the money that was helping us out. It was also a lot of yep. other things yep. because like at the end of the day, Mercedes is still the the top draw, right? Like if you were offered a job 100%. at Williams or Mercedes at the same position, you're going to take Mercedes, right? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. And like, I think it's good, but again, like there's just like with Mercedes, like it's still that thing where like they are well and truly the, the hunted, like people rejoice when Mercedes don't win a race, except when George oh, Russell absolutely. is driving the car. Um, <laughs> Dude, literally the, well, where is it? Where's this figure? It was, um, the F1 posted a, you know, a screenshot of the most laps led in 2020 and three of the top four drivers are for Mercedes. Hamilton, Bottas, and Russell. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and most of Verstappen's laps would have come it's from the last like, race of the season anyway, right? Literally, literally, literally. Were it not for Abu Dhabi, I think they would have had the top three Mercedes, which is just insane to think about, like just pure... But drama. I also think as well what might be fun to see um, for Mercedes with these new wrecks coming in is they're not going to be able to build their car now to just be really good from in front. Because that is obviously what is probably like costing them. A, like again, I don't know how to build a race car, but I would assume that with a lot less money being able to spend into it. Like what I'm really hoping for is that it sort of starts to like because the midfield battle has been great, right? And nobody can say like, and we'll get to that a little bit. Absolutely. But if that's if that's what happens, like with this like sort of change, and like I've been like I've been reading into, and a few F1 drivers have been sort of like you know. Um, pointing towards maybe 2022, some more more teams might come into play. Like I know that Porsche have been wanting to get into the sport for a while now, but the the MGUH. Um, so two or three years ago, they made a vote to see if they wanted to get rid of the MGUH because Mercedes was just far and away the best, and all the teams voted no to get rid of it because they wanted to, like they were like, oh no, it's not like we can build a good MGUH as well. Like it's not that. Like let's keep it. But that was one of the things <laughs> that kept um, Porsche from becoming an engine manufacturer right. in F1 because that was just way too much money for them to have to spend. Maybe now with the amount of money that has to be spent. Okay you know, more teams might come in. And if like that midfield battle starts to sort of like push up to like maybe 2022 Mercedes are pretty dominant, but in a few races, you know, drivers, you know, like maybe Ricardo has an absolute blinder or Max Verstappen has a blinder. And then by 23, 24, like how good would it be if the cars become like so kind of even that, or not even even, but like, you know, the, the Red Bull is fantastic aerodynamically, but like in like long like long tracks or like speed tracks, it's not very good. But in Monaco, it just wipes the floor with everybody else, right? Yeah. Mercedes now, like you know, it's not going to be this unbeatable like rocket ship. They're actually going to have to decide. It's like okay, how much wind tunnel can we actually like you know how much time can we spend in the wind tunnel this year? Um, how does that differ to how like what Williams is doing? Like, and that's even a thing as well, like. That I was thinking about. Yeah. Will all the cars just revert back to the level that the Williams car is now, but none of us will notice because everybody will be going back there? It's a fair shout. It's a fair thought. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't really matter, exactly. would it? Because if what we like, want we to see is the fastest car in history or anything like that. I mean, if, yeah. No. Like all all those records that have been broken this year for like track record, that's that's fun. But I'd rather see, you know, 
close competitive racing that's more entertaining. And you look at all the midfield oh, teams are all on an upward trajectory um, moving into these new regs. So in theory, they should be ready to take the next step and hopefully compete with the big boys. And you've got to think that Ferrari... And they still have the backing, back right? Like, it's, Ferrari. it's just, you know... Of course, of course. I didn't say this, and you didn't say this, but let's just say that the 2019 Ferrari engine, slightly not... What's that word I'm looking for? Um, it's like the opposite of illegal. It's not legal. <laughs> it was It was not legal. Yeah, yeah. And like, well, not nobody's talking Maybe about it. I don't know if they're not allowed yeah, to, but like Maybe. the FIA said that they closed the investigation with the Ferrari engine and they're like overlooking it. And then like conveniently the year after that, their engine and hmm. every other team that had the Ferrari's engine just turned absolute shit. Like obviously, shit. like that engine was just yep. horrible. Ferrari realized that and then were obviously hoping that they would be able to get a jump start onto 20... 21 and then COVID hit they had to shut down their factory for so much longer and then I'm pretty sure like what they did was just throw the engines that they had in there in 2019 taking away all the stuff that was illegal with it because sometimes like some races that car looked kind of decent I guess like you know Vettel got a podium yeah but it just Charlotte Claire made it look pretty good it wasn't the Ferrari you know what I mean? It was just the Ferrari. We're moving our way down. So we got Mercedes out the no. way, the Germans out the way. We got Red Bull next. And there was some. There was a little bit of a, a hubbub in the news cycle because there was a bit of a driver lineup announced. There was. Now some grid movement. A certain Mexican man has his seat and will be driving alongside Max Verstappen in 2021. And we are very happy. Are you very happy, Spencer? Are you happy that Sergio Perez is driving for Red Bull in 2021? I am happy and I am shocked. I did not see shocked? this coming. Every, every really? Week, every week, Horner said that Albon is their guy and that they're going to give <laughs> Alex as much time as possible to show yeah. what he can do in the car. And He's the guy in a reserve capacity. Every week, they said that they're just going to look at this weekend and in two of the last three races... Albon finished with a podium, and then Albon finished fourth just behind Lewis Hamilton on the last race of the season. And I'm surprised mm. that they still picked Perez because every week they were saying that they were going to give him a chance, and I thought he ended the season pretty well. So, no, <laughs> it makes it, it makes almost too much sense, right? Mm. Like, um, no, see, Hume isn't here today, but he would be absolutely jonesing at this one. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he would have, you know, would be remiss without saying that I'm pretty sure he... He called it at the start of the year. I think I was on Hulkenberg to get the Red Bull seat. And I think he joked and said that, oh, you know, maybe Perez will get it. But then as the season went on and on, like, you know, having Perez in the car seemed to make more and more sense and didn't seem as crazy. Um, And it was pretty much since Vettel went to Aston Martin. Like, it was the idea that, like, it, it seemed that if Red Bull didn't jump on Sergio Perez and at least give him a crack, that... Maybe yeah. silly, right? Like he's he's shown what he can do. He's a fantastic driver. Um, the the Red Bull is like we. I mean, looking at Max Verstappen when he doesn't DNF, um, it looks like it's a fantastic <laughs> car. Um, Absolutely. Like I think the only thing that I got an issue with is, and like I guess with most F one teams, is how are they going to work together because. Um, Sergio is very much now the second driver 
you know, like absolutely nobody can debate that, right? Um, and while I will say that obviously Max is a far better talent than Sergio Perez, I think Sergio Perez is obviously a lot smarter and a lot more tactical with how he does things. Um, and if I had to bet on a driver getting to the end of the race, I'd bet all my money on Sergio Perez over Max. Fair call. Well, it, look, his his job will be to pressure Max uh, to consistently fight for podiums, to be you know in and around that top four at least week by week, and and to give Red Bull some in race strategy options that they just haven't had for the well, since Ricardo left, right? Yeah. And this will be the first time that Max Verstappen will actually be pressured by his teammate since since Daniel Ricardo, looking for the back Carlos Sainz when he was in the Toro Rosso. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how Max possibly improves um, and you know, handles that pressure. And it'll be fascinating to see if Perez can can perform at the highest level because you look at the other guys they were considering. Well, they weren't really considering anyone else because their juniors are still very much junior. Yuri Vips, uh, Jehan Daruvala, Liam Lawson, they're all a few years removed from actually being at this level. And Yuki Tsunoda is still, what, he's 20 years old, yeah. I think, 21 maybe, and just isn't... I guess, Red Bull ready. And then there are other options. They're not going to re-promote Pierre Gasly. They've made that very clear. They're not going to re-promote Danny Kvyat. He doesn't deserve it. And Nico Hulkenberg's been out of the sport for a year. So Perez makes perfect sense. He's in superb form. Can he continue that into next season? And, you know, in theory, Red Bull should be pressuring Mercedes for a title. That's that's the idea, right? this This is the strongest driver lineup that they've had um, in driver one and driver two since, um, I mean, you know, I would say it's probably even better than the Max Verstappen, Daniel Ricciardo pairing because Max Verstappen is a way better driver now than what he was then. And I would say that Sergio Perez now was a way better driver than what Daniel Ricciardo was back then. Um, but that's going to be the drama and the intrigue in it as well, right? Is, um, Charles and Seb were a lot more, buddy buddy and coy with each other this year because their car was a hmm. hunk of crap but last year like even in brazil you know second last race of the season or third last race of the season yes, yes, they're indeed. touching tires with each other and throwing each other both out of the race like the the thing that i'm keen to see is like will red bull out and out tell perez that it's a uh, max is one you are two because Mercedes seem to do the best job in sort of like telling their drivers, you know, whenever it's Valtteri's day, Lewis sort of backs off. And then most of the time, which is which rare, is right? But then when it's Lewis's day, <laughs> Valtteri, like, you know, they don't do anything stupid. I don't see that happening. Yeah. Like, I see that if Sergio Perez has an opening, Sergio or Sergio Perez is hunting Max down, I think Sergio Perez is going to want to take that position from him. But then I can see Max Verstappen you know, taking team orders or, you know, best case scenario for the team and just throwing it out the window and just trying to bin Sergio Perez off the track. <laughs> he is used to being he number is, one. right? And it's been, what, two years? Two full seasons since Ricardo was there? Exactly, and Albon and Gasly just didn't give him any, any competition whatsoever. Mm-hmm. No. But- you look at Perez, and I don't, I don't. I feel like they'd probably be signing him with the caveat of, "Hey, you are very clearly the number two. We want you to perform, but Max is our guy." And Perez, 
he isn't really, even though he's been spectacular this season, he's not really in a position to, I guess, fight that, right? Because there's nowhere, there's nowhere else he can go. The field is full. There's young guys coming up quickly. Perez is in his 30s now. Mm-hmm. And look, he probably only has a year or so in this car until they promote Yuki Tsunoda or you revips, etc. Because Red Bull have historically been very keen on promoting their younger drivers, right? So for Perez, I think there's a part of it where he just may want to just try and please the team as much as possible and may very well, you know, succumb to those team orders and, and, and let Max let Max go past him if, if, if that situation kind of arises. Yeah, like, I think that's what will happen. Or, like, I think that's what Red Bull sort of tell him. Um and it's, you know, I'd, I'd like it not to be like that. Like, I just think that Red Bull's biggest issue is that with, like, with Hamilton and Rosberg, like, that season, like, very rarely, like, obviously they got tangled with each other in Barcelona. Um, but outside of that, oh, and Austria as well, sorry. But mm. most of the time, like, they were able to, like, Mercedes allowed their drivers to race. It wasn't, like, a clear-cut, like, you're number one, you're number two. Um, and... Like, in the sense that, like, they didn't, like, give, you know, any of those drivers, like, you know, this is one, this is two. I like Red Bull to sort of do the, like, I don't think Red Bull trusts Max Verstappen enough to be able to make it like, oh, you two can race each other because I think that Max will crack the shits, like, if that yep. isn't the case. And, like, if it wasn't for <laughs> Nikita Mazepin, like, Max Verstappen is probably one of the, <laughs> you know, the most drama prone like you know not necessarily unliked but like the way that he carries on in the car is not not to my liking um and it's almost weird though right is that Sergio comes in at the age of 31 next year um has had almost like we'll we'll reach 200 races this year oh sorry next season um but then he's coming in as the number two driver behind Max Verstappen who is what seven years his like, younger than him yeah, or something young. like that yeah how old is max but you just can't you can't deny the talent though just max has that and and red bull have made it very clear over the years that max is their guy no matter yeah. what. yeah so but i just i think the one thing that might end up sort of like cooking max's career is i don't know i feel like out of all the the young guys that have sort of come up through F1 in the last few years. I feel like Max has kind of been given the most amount of excuses or the most amount of leash. Cause like you look at Lewis Hamilton, like Lewis Hamilton's rookie year, he missed out on the championship by two points or something like that. Tied with his like reigning double world champion, Fernando Alonso. Um, Sebastian Vettel's yeah. first year in Red Bull, I believe he won the championship. Um, and then, like, even with Charles Leclerc, like, Charles had to spend a full season at then Sauber, now Alfa Romeo, switched yeah, over to Ferrari, yeah. and was definitely, like, you could say, like, even, like, at the start of the season, Seb was one, in quotations, Vettel was two. Oh, sorry, Seb was one, Leclerc was two. And I think Charles has sort of had to, like, this year, like I was sort of alluding to earlier, he's kind of proven himself to be a a leader of the team and not just like the guy that's really good. And I think that the one thing that's sort of been a trouble with Verstappen is that at the age of, you know, 20, 21, 22, 23, he's been the senior driver in the team. 
but it would have been good to maybe have somebody older than you that you sort of look up to there for you. And, like, all the top guys have had that. Like, Lewis Hamilton had a season with Fernando Alonso, and he talks a lot about how much Fernando taught him. Nico Rosberg had two seasons with Michael Schumacher, and, again, shortly after that, he won the World Championship. Charles Leclerc had Seb Vettel, and, no, Raikkonen wasn't there. They switched over for that. And it's just, like, I just – I hope that Max – doesn't necessarily see Perez as he doesn't need to see Perez as his equal or anything like that. You know what I mean? Um, no, I don't think Max. But like, don't as think equal. that Sergio is beneath you, kind of thing. Like, elite, like try to take as much information and as much like you know data from Sergio as you possibly can, because I think the biggest issue with Red Bull for so long that has sort of like hurt them is that even the the Ferrari teams, like their drivers, still like. Like, Kimi and Seb, they worked well together. Like, they never got into the dramas in the track. Like, yeah. Kimi's always been one of the safest guys in terms of if somebody tries to do a crazy overtake on him, he kind of just lets him go by. And Mercedes, apart from a few indiscretions here and there. But since Bottas and Hamilton, I honestly don't think I've ever seen a race where they've had a, they've had a collision or they've had a bust-up or they've had anything. You know what I mean? And that's the thing where... In a situation where Mercedes can take, like, what's 25, 25, 35, 43. So you can take 43 points, 44 if you get fastest lap. The amount of times that Mercedes have been able to take that many points in a race weekend and then Red Bull haven't even been able to get three and four or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, certain. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Verstappen hasn't had anyone in his lane for two years now, so it's going. This will be a test of how much he actually has matured because Perez will be up there. And he Man, I would, I would say it right now. You know, like, as long like as Red Bull aren't like completely like cucking him, I, I would say that Sergio outqualifies him in Melbourne for the first race. Ooh, ooh. Well, Albon didn't didn't mm-hmm. qualify Verstappen once this season. It's seventeen. And hopefully, that's what Sergio brings insane. to the table as well. So right? Is that yeah. for Max? It would have almost become boring, right? Like every single one of the races that he finished, pretty much was like, "Oh, I'm on the podium, and here are the Mercedes." Like, it'd be a shock to the system, right? If for the first yeah. time in God knows how long, Max actually sees his teammate's car in front of him, and I think that's what Red Bull realized that they did that they fucked up with getting rid of Ricardo is that once they got rid of a guy that was absolutely as good, if not better than Max, like I'm not saying that his career's tailed off, but like the peak that it looked like it was on, like it's definitely sort of stagnated since then. Um, this season was pretty good. Like he had five DNFs to Bottas's one and he only finished behind it by nine points in the driver's championship. Like that's, that's pretty good. Nine points. And to be yeah. fair, like Red Bull had a pretty good season. Like, all things considered, like, with the DNFs that they had, like, obviously in week one, um, in Monza, like, uh, when Mercedes were absolutely out of the race, yeah. like, they couldn't capitalize on that. And I just, I want to just see anybody challenge yeah, Mercedes impressive right enough. now. I think Red Bull is, you know, threat number one, as they showed the at Abu Dhabi, where they, for whatever reason, whether it was Mercedes not doing what they wanted to do or Red Bull just getting it right for a weekend, like... The pace that Red Bull had in Abu Dhabi was Mercedes-esque. They any time Lewis or Valtteri put up a good like lap time, Max just got the message and then he just kept on trudging along. He just had no dramas to it. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how that dynamic plays out between him and him and Checo. Uh, Alex Albon has been named as reserve driver for Red Bull moving forward. There's been some talks that maybe that's 
you know, so that he could potentially be reinstated to the team once he shows some improvement. I don't see that happening. Nah. You know, nah, nah, got, nah, nah. You've got Yuki Tsunoda as the chosen one coming up through the ranks. Yuri Vips, Liam Lawson, they're both very talented young drivers. Danny Kvyat wants allegedly to make a return in 2022. So there's a, there's a bit too much competition, I reckon, for Alexander Albon to ever really make a return. Nah, he just got, he just got shafted that he was put into the seat too early. Too quickly, yeah. But, um, yeah, he just didn't capitalise, and that's probably a, an end to that book. Yeah. Which wasn't a particularly interesting read in the first place. No, that's it. Like, yeah, you can yeah. say bad luck, but, again, um, yeah. Max Verstappen had a pretty wretched run of luck this year. Um, and that's the thing that I will say about Max is I think, and I've said this a lot, um, Red Bull drinking their own Kool-Aid with their academy system. They expected every mm-hmm. young driver that they brought up to just act like Max. Um, but, again, that's the thing as well, like, Max had guy had Daniel Ricciardo there um, when he got yeah. to Red Bull, and they like they didn't get along on the track. But I don't think any Formula One pairing does. Off the track, they were good friends. They're still good friends now. And you need you needed somebody there to push. That's what a number two driver is supposed to do in a top team. Like Alex Albon yep. was a great number two driver for Toro Rosso or for AlphaTauri or for Alfa Romeo, or whatever it is like that, right? But when you're in a top team. It goes from, like, look at, you know, Charles's season for Sauber. He, like, he'd finish 8th or ninth or even 12th, and everyone would be, like, praising him, like, oh, my God, like, what a great drive. But you do that for Ferrari, yeah. that's a completely different thing. Exactly. Like, exactly. Album was expected to bring consistent points, and to be honest, like, like, Red Bull's plan of attack is if there's three spots on the podium and they have two cars, they want two cars on the podium. Like, that's what all these top teams are doing. And Max showed that he could do that because every single time he started or finished a race, he pretty much finished on the podium. Um, and Albon just wasn't able to do that. Like, it's unfortunate, it's sad, but no. for two years he was one of the best 20 drivers in the world. So, you know, that's something to hang your hat on, I guess. Yeah. He got himself an apartment in Monaco. So mm-hmm. I'm sure he's. I'm sure, I'm sure he's fine. But um, moving away down the grid, uh, McLaren snuck in and got P3. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Congratulations, Thank you. mate. You, you picked true. You picked true. You had to plant a freaking timed bomb device on Sergio Perez's car to achieve it, but congratulations. Hey, man, when it works, it works. Zach Brand knows how to make things happen, you could say. <laughs> Absolutely. He's, he's, he's done well, hasn't he? But that's their highest finish since 2012. You know, they got there, I think, with just really impressive consistency you look at Norris and Science they were really I mean Science struggled early on but he's been superb in the second half of the season and Norris has been pretty consistent throughout um, you know and that shows they came home fifth and sixth in Abu Dhabi and there were a few races where they finished you know mm-hmm. side by side and um, their, their points tally of 202 is just five short of their combined points tallies from 2018 Jesus yeah, and it just shows how much improvement they've made this season. And they should, in theory, make more improvement next year when they get that Mercedes mm-hmm. engine into the car. So, good time to be in Oh, definitely. Um, like, just looking at the... Like, Lando only had four finishes outside of the points this year. Um, Sainz had five, um, albeit three of those were do-not-finishes or do-not-starts. Um, and, yeah, like, yeah. it was, you know... 
it looked like um, halfway through the Sakir race that McLaren had it all locked up. Like they were looking like, like you know, pretty good. Um, and then Racing Point get the double podium, and then it looks like that Racing Point has the number three position locked down. Um, it was even yeah. looking pretty good, oh, even with That's Sergio. Crazy. Obviously, I think he had to take a. Did he take an engine penalty in the last race? Is that why he started out the back? Yeah. Yeah, but he was he was working his way up, and he was you know. And then yeah, that obviously him. put a. And then oh. Lance was in a pretty good yeah. spot, and then. I can't remember what the excuse was they gave him. Yeah, he nice just wasn't driving it. well. And then McLaren ended up getting through yeah. there. Obviously, I'm chuffed because that's who I picked to, you know, finish third. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the, it's sad to see Carlos go, obviously. Um, he His relationship with Lando was really special. Um, I think Carlos's relationship with McLaren as a whole was pretty special because he was there, you know, he was there pretty much as an outcast. Like he pretty much had to beg for a seat there after Renault, you know, flogged him off for Daniel Ricciardo. Um, and what he's done with McLaren in the yeah. last two years or so, um, there's nothing short of, you know, he got a spot at Ferrari. So it sort of shows you what he did there. Um, Spectacular. Now, obviously, Daniel Ricciardo is driving for McLaren, which I think is just a, a match made in heaven, I think. Um, Oh, it's juicy. I'm, honest, it's I'm honestly juicy. frothing um, the Australian race because it's going to be the first time in a long time where um, Daniel's going to be in a car that, you know, it's off-season right now. Like, it looks like that McLaren car with that Mercedes engine, if everything sort of works in and they've got everything, like, together. Like, like at this time, like, with McLaren, like, you know, like, it's constant improvement. Like, there's only two cars before them in the pit lane now like you can't be thinking of like top fives anymore like it's got to be podiums yeah. every race like podiums have to be the floor like you have to be getting a podium every single race for it to be a successful weekend and although i think carlos probably has a has more potential to be seen than daniel ricardo i think as of right now daniel ricardo is a much better driver um what he did with the Renault was, again, pretty fantastic. And I think he's going to be the perfect foil for Lando Norris, where, like, I don't think Daniel Ricciardo is going to be as buddy-buddy as Carlos Sainz. Like, obviously, like, they're still going to goof around and stuff like that, but the... Oh, yeah, that makes some great YouTube videos. Like, Daniel's sort of getting to this point in his career now where it's, it's make or break, right? Like... There's not too many drivers that mm-hmm. are winning championships into their mid-30s, like mid to late 30s. Um, and I think another thing that he'd obviously be looking at as well is how many young drivers are coming through. So they didn't buy Daniel Ricciardo oh, yeah. to finish fifth and sixth again. Like they bought Daniel Ricciardo because they was like, hey, the last time you were in a really competitive car at Red Bull, you were winning races and you were getting podiums consistently. Like we want that. And like the McLaren Mercedes is back. Like that's just music to my fucking ears. And I don't want to get my hopes up too much because Mercedes have a tendency to just crush all hopes and dreams. But even if, you know, (laughs) if Hamilton can just do whatever the fuck he wants next season, like if he wins another world championship, I wouldn't be upset because I'm English. So I'd rather Lewis Hamilton have the record for most drivers championships and be tied with a dirty crowd. Um, (laughs) But Bottas didn't look good 
<sighs> this year. Bottas was shit. He looked shit. terrible. Like, he, he yeah. wasn't even voted in the top 10 by um, the... They did a vote with the... Yeah, the paddock or whatever that. it is, He's, I guess. I don't know what the really the drivers, yeah, yeah the drivers, and Bottas wasn't in there. He was <laughs> Albon came tenth, yeah, <laughs> over Bottas, and that just goes to show how many drivers yeah. think like if I was in that car, I'd be doing so much better than you. Um, if we get to see, like, I would just like, and that's the and by the way, Ricardo was third on that list. Yes, and so he fucking should be. Thank you very much. Yeah, <laughs> like right now, like coming into next year, like we've obviously got Lewis as the clear number one favorite, but then from we've yes. got Max Checo, Daniel Lando, Seb, Lance. Like that car will be good. Obviously, that car will be good. Like yeah. there's no splitting hairs about that. And again, same thing. Seb is going to be able to push Lance to be better. Um, and then we've got this like mystery and this unknown of like what's going on at Ferrari, because yeah, not only yeah. do they have Charles who had a fantastic season this year despite everything, they've now got Carlos nipping at his heels, and Carlos has never been the number two Absolutely. driver anywhere he's gone. He's always pushed himself to be the top guy, and he looks bloody good this, in red. But that's it. Like they're both so goddamn good looking, both of them, but in different ways. Like it's just <laughs> it's the it's the best. <laughs> Oh, it's yeah. the most beautiful partnership Ferrari's ever had, and that will go. That will stand the test Absolutely. of time. I don't care who you got. Like those two boys right there, mwah, fantastic. Yeah, look, Seb. Seb's got some nice Italian, but he's not a aesthetic no. man as he no. ages. But yeah, just, McLaren moving forward, it's very exciting. They've had this investment by uh, US Group MSP Sports Capital, um, who are now now own thirty three percent of the team and. That that deal was worth three hundred twenty-seven million dollars, supposedly, and they're going to invest some capital into their wind tunnel project. So they're making moves. Zach Brown's making moves, and uh, yeah, upward trajectory. But a lot of the midfield teams are in upward trajectory. I reckon. You know, you look at what Racing Point have done, and uh, now Aston Martin, of course, and they are definitely on an upward trajectory. It has to mm-hmm. be said, despite all these things that have happened. You know. They got docked 15 points for the break ducks. You know, you've got Checo and Lance Stroll both missing time through COVID. You've got the ridiculous pit stops that they've had or the the questionable strategies they've chosen. And you, you have to think that improves next season. And um, I don't know, how do you... Do you think it's a clear-cut McLaren 3, Aston Martin 4, or do you think it's more competitive? Like, I think, I think it's more going to be that... Aston Martin and McLaren are going to get a lot closer to Red Bull, I think, next year. Um, because the only thing that I would okay. say, um, I guess it's hard because, like, obviously I have McLaren tinted glasses on and I almost want to say that, you know, all the momentum's with McLaren. Um, you know, they finished third. They've now got Daniel Ricciardo coming in. They've got the Mercedes engine coming in. But then on the flip side of that is Aston Martin has Seb Vettel coming in they're now a completely different team. So it's almost like the, you know, it's the yeah. slate's being wiped clean. And then they've already got that Mercedes engine in their car. So you've got a historic I'd, name. You probably yeah. bet with the team that's had the yes. engine in their car longer. And also there's the issue that they're taking the cars from last year over to this year as well, albeit with some changes um, sprinkled in. Um, and I, like, yes. it's probably going to be much of the same as it was this year, but maybe. Like, what I'm hoping is that 
Aston Martin definitely have more. They definitely left more points on the table as you for the reasons you um, you just said. But I think the issue is that as of this year's form, you'd have to say that Ricardo and Lando both drove better than Seb and Lance. In a new car and a new team, Seb easily goes ahead of Lando. True. Maybe. Well, that's the thing. Like, is how is how much is he rejuvenated by the new, exactly you know, the exactly new team and, and being, being in a team that actually every fucking week. wants him. You know what I mean? Like, they moved a guy that they love out of there to get you in here. Um, yes, and I think it's just the and I don't mean this to like to keep on like sort of like ragging on him so much, but I think that in terms of Red Bull, Aston Martin, and McLaren, the weakest driver out of all of those is definitely Lance Stroll. I would say. Not not too far behind Lando. Um, oh, for sure, for sure. But I. Th- but I think I think he's yeah. got the humility to learn from Seb and develop. But if he, and and he man, does I don't know, like, it just has bad luck. He needs to be a bit more consistent. And look, the thing with Vettel, like Vettel obviously had a bad yeah. year, but his peaks were as high as Charles Leclerc. Like Leclerc's best qualifying position was fourth. Vettel's was fifth. Leclerc's best race finish was second. Vettel's was third. Yeah. So and he has shown at you times. You don't have to get to drive a race it. car like fucking um, overnight. Um, the Ferrari was obviously like, like I don't care what they say. Like they, no. they definitely stopped building that car for Seb's preferences. They were building it for Charles, and they were most likely building that second car for Carlos. To be honest, like I wouldn't be surprised if they were doing that. Um, because it was a lost season for them. Yeah. Like, what is the point of trying to finish 11th instead of 14th in a season that you know you're going to eat shit in? Like, just completely rebuild and prepare for the next year. Um, and, yeah, Seb, Seb and Aston Martin next year, that should be that should be a lot of fun. Um, you'd probably have more expectations on it if it wasn't about to come into a massive um, budget cut era. Um, and But then, you know, that also just, that, that constricts the field, right? It makes everyone, in theory, playing at an equal mm-hmm. playing field. So it's, it's about what you do with the money rather than how much money you have. So a smaller team like Aston Martin, yeah, sure, they're bankrolled by Lawrence Stroll, but they don't have the same spending power as Mercedes or Red Bull. They yep. should, in theory, be with a chance to be... And that's it, like, uh, with these a Seb's better on his day. And what was it? Um, Turkey sort of proved that in conditions that were just absolutely dreadful. Um, he pushed that red shoe yep. box somehow onto the podium. Um, he's... On his day, I would say he's probably the second best driver on the grid mm-hmm. behind Lewis Hamilton. But the the only thing that we haven't seen in a while is that version. Like you know, the it almost feels weird to hear Seb Vettel like just telling his radio, like telling his team on the radio to just shut up and to let him race while he's like just pulling away in first. Like almost now, it just seems to be like a like he sounded broken. Yeah. Like on the radio, you know what I mean? Like he sounded dejected, yeah. like every time that he had to, you know, say what issue there was or like ask Rai to do something and they just come mm-hmm. back with copy or like, oh, like we don't understand. And like I would see like copy. Seb. Yeah. Oh my God. That was fantastic. And yeah, like 
his tirade of Italian at the end there was was gorgeous, but that's, that's yeah. for the other oh, years. Not, it not was this a dream year, of his, right? Like, obviously, rap. a massive Michael other Schumacher years. fan growing up, like, being able to drive the Ferrari um, like his idol. Like, but I just think it... And you could say, like, he had that interview earlier in the year that he just said that, like, it it was really disappointing not to win a world championship with Ferrari. And, like, I think that once... It was probably even before, like, the, you know, the Carlos Sainz thing. Like, Seb would have known. He was testing the cars. Like, he was seeing what was going on. Like, they didn't have pace from the get-go. And, like, when you don't have your contract re-signed for the year after versus Charles Leclerc, who's being told that, A, right now you're the face of Ferrari, but then on the flip side of that, we're now bringing Carlos Sainz, who's going to compete with you being the face of Ferrari. Like, obviously, Charles is going to race harder, and he's going to be a little bit better than what Seb Vettel is. Because Seb mm. drove terribly in his last year with Red Bull. Like, his teammate was Daniel Ricciardo, yeah. who just got promoted from Toro Rosso. And I think Dan Ricciardo outraced him in pretty much every single race. And everyone was saying the same things. Like, oh, has Ferrari made bad decision, like, signing Seb Vettel? Like, is this going to come back to bite them in the ass? And Seb, you know, easily was the second-best driver on mm. the grid for years. And, uh, yeah, we're talking about this uh, midfield battle. And the, the two teams that came out on top and McLaren ultimately got the dub. But there was the, the third team there that kind of dropped the ball towards the end of the season. Matthew's pick, of course. Shout out to Matthew for being wrong because he picked Renault to win the midfield battle and they came last. And you got to say, the teams, I don't know, I just, I'm not as excited about this team as I am about the other two. Because you look at, uh, okay... Racing point, Aston Martin are ringing in Sebastian Vettel, four-time world champion. We're keen to see how he can rejuvenate his career. McLaren are ringing in Daniel Ricciardo. That's awesome. Renault are bringing in Fernando Alonso, who is, yes, an all-time great, but is also already retired for a reason because people felt that he was perhaps past his prime and not really, you know, at a competitive level anymore, and they're bringing him back. And I'm just not excited about a Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon driver pairing coming into next season. Oh, I agree 100%. Mm. I honestly forgot that Renault even existed Mate. until we were rolling through them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, they just... They just like, I know mean, that's it, right? Like, they had a pretty good season. Um, they, they had a few good races, we'll put it that way. Like, they, their pace, their top speed at... Spa. Um, Spa was very shocking. Um, I think to everybody, like, that's when they kind of, like, sort of announced themselves as, you know, not just making up the numbers. Um, but I don't know, like, both, yeah, like, both of their two drivers. Like, if you had to look at, you know, teams in the midfield, let's say, like, not teams down the bottom, um, their driver lineup probably gives you the least amount of hype. Oh, I absolutely. Guess, like, so I'm telling you right now, AlphaTauri will overtake Renault or Alpine this season. Yuki Tsunoda, the chosen one. You watch. MPF big <laughs> Dick Gasly. Oh my god, the ultimate Frenchman. I can't wait for him to just flex or knock on week in and week out. It's through the middle of the season, I think it was, there was that stretch where Ricardo was just coming forth every week or copping the podium every week. And it was like, okay, this is nice, this is good, this is Renault. Proving the doubt is wrong. Cyril Bitterball is actually a genius. And then they just petered out towards the end of the season. That Ocon podium was, um, you know, good for him. But similar to Alex Albon's uh, pair of podiums, they weren't, you know, amazing. They weren't spectacular. 
I don't consider Esteban Ocon a podium level driver. It was just things in front of them just going well. You know yeah. what I mean? And there's nothing, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Like you get on the podium in F1, like that's, you know, a pretty good thing to have to have happen. But um, yeah, like you said, like hit the nail on the head. I don't see Ocon as a podium level driver. Um, I don't think he is that young either, old Ocon. Just no, check. Even mid-20s. 24. Not, not young enough to offset Alonso's age. No, yeah, who's 39. <laughs> um, and it's... I don't... Yeah, I don't really know what... Like, I, my only... My only guess uh, is Renault probably jumped the gun a little bit too early on um, signing Alonso because after they signed or Alonso was confirmed, which I don't know, like there wasn't really much fanfare about it, to be honest. Like, you know, it was the novelty of it was kind of cool, but then like the further along it went on, you were kind of like, Oh, it's just, just old. It just seems a bit stupid. Oh, look, Fernando Alonso is driving in the young driver test. That's, that's fun. It's just, it just screams of a blatant, PR play that isn't necessarily going to win them, you know, points, right? Like, you saw Fernando Alonso drove a lap in his championship winning 2005 IR25, and Lewis Hamilton's there on the side just, like, creaming his pants. And obviously that was nice, but you don't want to be bringing in guys for their nostalgia. You want to be bringing in guys who can be competitive. Mm-hmm. And with the amount of talent that's currently not driving in F1 yeah, and is coming up through F2. It just, yeah, it, it's an odd move. Like maybe, maybe it was something that Renault needed to do in order to get Alpine to put their money down. Like maybe Renault needed to do something to, you know, get a little bit of eyes back on the team and get a little bit of PR, which, you know, I yep. understand that to a certain degree F1's a business, but, um, like as it looks right now, um, I don't, uh, I don't see Renault closing up the gap to um, McLaren or Aston Martin at all, because no, the, like Renault have even come out and said straight away that Alonso is going to be at a disadvantage at the start of twenty twenty one. And it's like, well, why are you putting in a driver that's going to be at a disadvantage who's going to retire in maybe a year or two anyway? You idiots. Yeah. It makes no sense. I don't, I don't think, I mean, yeah, Alonso is awesome. I don't think that he's the deciding factor in Alpine rocking up. I think it's Daniel Ricciardo's superb form this season more than yeah. anything. You know, like, they look at that and they think, okay, we've got this competitive car. Whereas in reality, Ricardo is probably overdriving that car a little bit. Easily. Look, just look at what Ocon did in Abu Dhabi versus him. Exactly. exactly. And what he's done literally all year to Ocon on the worst tyre. Like, they always yeah. put Ricardo on, like, the longest strategy. And within, like, the... And he's driving faster than him. Yeah, every yeah. time. And Ocon, you know, blocking him and bloody being a dog. It's ridiculous. Ah, oh, dear. I'm keen to see what the new liveries look like, but apart from that, not not a whole lot of interest in Alpine in Young Renault over there. Nah. I, I, I'm I'm telling you right now, my big prediction for uh, next season: AlphaTauri will either overtake Alpine or they'll at least you know come to par 
and they'll have a little battle for the bottom of the midfield. Because as much oh, shit okay. as I've talked on uh, Yuki Tsunoda, because I do love me some Danny Fiat, he's actually quite good. Um, he's gone from F Japanese F4 to F3 to F2 to F1 in four years. He's gone to clean slate, to clean promotion. He's allegedly got a real flair for race management. He just seems like a mature young guy who is ready to impress. And Red Bull are very high on him. Obviously, he came through for that Honda deal when Honda were like solidifying that relationship and he you know he's he's been backed by Honda since 2016 he's been a part of Red Bull system since 2018 and uh yeah he's supposed to be quite good and him alongside Pierre Gasly is a partnership I'm excited to see especially with AlphaTauri's improvement this season I don't know if you see it the same way or how do you feel about AlphaTauri it's like just looking at the constructors standings from this year um, like getting 107 points for Afatari was absolutely huge. Mm. Um, Talk about upward about trajectory, well, right? Like absolutely. Yeah, like there's only ten. There's only ten um, spots that score points every single week, mm. and if you finish tenth for 21 races of the season, you finish with 21 points, yep. and they finish with five times that much, right? Yeah. So, like, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of like match up against. Because obviously, like with Ferrari constantly finishing in the you know the the tenth or the you know the eleventh or fifteenth this year, um, there was a I don't know if there were more DNFs than there was in previous seasons, but there seemed to be a fair few cars this year that kind of you know turfed themselves out of the race for one reason or another. Um, but you you have to think that that driver lineup next year with the progress that they've made and that Honda engine starting to look you know. Yep sneaky good you'd have to like i probably yeah i agree with you i see them sort of like challenging renault um maybe maybe challenging ferrari as well i'm not sure um but they'll definitely be challenging renault for that you know the best of the rest i guess kind of thing not necessarily yeah yeah yeah. in the midfield battle because i think the the quality of um, Seb, Daniel, Lando, Lance, um, you know, Checo, Max is probably a little bit too much. But there are definitely going to be races and days where, you know, Pierre and Yuki can probably punch out, you know, two of their cars in the top six or, you know, one or two podiums throughout the year. Because if this year F1 taught us anything, it's that, you know, anything can fucking happen. And Absolutely. Like 25 of those points were obviously from the Monza victory, but again, it's, you know, Carlos Sainz could have taken those 25 points or Lance Stroll could have taken those 25 points and Pierre made sure that he got them. Um, Absolutely. And awesome. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of comparisons with um, Yuki Tsunoda versus Max Verstappen and that sort of stuff gets Red Bull very, very moist. I've oh, heard. yeah. He's um, the chosen one. And it makes Yuki. sense with the Honda deal at the moment as well, like just a small brand exposure in Japan. Absolutely. No, it makes perfect sense. Uh, I'll be keen to see how that pans out. Um, Danny Kvyat, obviously, get the turfed. And uh, as much as I am a member of the Kvyat crew and it breaks my heart to see him leave the sport, it is the right decision, I think. Danny's come out and he says he, he feels he has unfinished business in F1. Yeah, the same way. That all, these, all the drivers say the same thing. But he wants to return in 2022. Um, maybe, maybe for one of those new new teams you mentioned earlier on. Who knows? Yeah, 
That'll be cool. Well, that's the chat. Yeah, that's the chat. So there's going to be like maybe two more teams, so there'd be four more spots. That'd be um, awesome, honestly. With the new regs already, like there's a lot of excitement around the seat. And I think, am I right in saying this has been one of the better F1 seasons for a while, just in terms of quality of racing? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, there were there were some some races like in Abu Dhabi that were like pretty boring, but the cars have been like this for a little bit now, where they've just been really difficult to overtake with. Um, and that's one of the reasons why in the regs next year they're I think you know cutting out ten percent of downforce um, mm. and not allowing them to use as much downforce with the the floor tray of the car. Okay, yeah. So like that's going to be that's so much gener- that generates so much excitement. New regs, budget costs, you know, a new a new racetrack I suppose, and then potentially two new teams. So the F one's trending in the right direction, I reckon. In that well, sense. I think yeah, like the F one can make as much money as they want, but I think like at the end of the day, like the teams, like if if you're Mercedes, of course you don't have any problems with there being a spending cap. And what I mean, not Mercedes, like Mercedes. I mean, like if you were in the position of Mercedes and you were winning that many races mm. and you were that successful, um, or you know Red Bull between 2000 and 2013, if they are talked about some kind of budget cap, then. Red Bull would probably turn around and go get fucked. <laughs> yeah, they're obviously like, oh no, yeah, like one hundred percent. Like we should, you know, even up the playing field a little bit. Yeah, um, it's like more teams just makes it, you know, more cars, more variables, more chances for there to be drama. Um, if there are more cars, like I would like to see as well that they, you know, they've done it a fair few times before, like restructure the point system a little bit more. Like if we get, let's say we get two more teams in. And that brings it up to 24. Make it top 12, scores points. Like, that's I a good that's shot. Pretty, yeah, that pretty sense. reasonable. Um, I don't know if you've got to, you know, maybe you make it that it's 30 points for a win or something like that. Like, they'll figure that sort of stuff out. But just to make it more like, you know, it's not necessarily about finishing 10th that makes it exciting. It's like, oh, you're fighting for the last points in the race. So if you put an extra two spots there, so the guy that's now in 13th spot is actually driving for points. That's just going to make things much more interesting. And the in the last five or six years, like this is obviously the first year I've been proper into it for a while, but the level of drivers, like it used to be that if you weren't driving for one of the top, like if you weren't driving for Red Bull, Ferrari or Mercedes, you were immediately like B tier. And yep. then like from the B tier, it was like, a, you know, a C tier, but even like, like all the way down to, you know, George Russell and Williams, like, He's generating interest driving a Williams car. Like Kimi Raikkonen is in, you know, the second worst car on the grid, but still, like you know, generates a lot of buzz as well. It just seems to be very competitive in that middle stretch. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's just yeah, quality of drivers for sure. No, it's it's exciting, and you moving into the to the lower, I guess, tiers. Like there are still very talented. Like Kimi Raikkonen is obviously a world champion, very good. Giovinazzi, I don't know why Gio's there. Mick Schumacher is the goddamn son of the Mickey goat. Mazepin is... <laughs> he's going to at least generate some headlines over the course of the season. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he's currently got a seat in F1. Yeah, we'll see how long yeah. that lasts for. And we'll talk about Haas just for a little bit. There, there has been chat. Maybe Nikita gets fucked off before he's even driven a race. I'm not sure that'll necessarily happen. I feel like... I would be very surprised mm. because I think people seem to forget how much money talks Absolutely. in this in this business. And if Hume was here, he'd be, you know, 
whipping out his social justice stick and whacking Nikita all over the head with it. But, like, I'm not condoning his actions. Like, I think what he did was stupid and pretty disgusting. But at the end of the day, like, you know, you're you're living under a rock if you think that people with that much money don't get to act the way that they want to. Um, His dad literally tried to buy an F1 team and is currently trying to sue that F1 team. Yeah, yeah, he was Uh, outbid by Lauren Stroll, right? Yeah, <laughs> like they don't care no. because Haas know that if they're not there next year, like they they were never going to get a guy like um, Sergio Perez who can bring money with him. There aren't that many. I don't think there are really any pay drivers sort of left that could be like you know. And people say like, oh, but you know, Eilert or Fittipaldi, like you know, like they're better drivers. Like they de- they deserve the spot better. It's like well, like. Like, you say that, but then when Sergio Perez's money, like, saved Force India yeah. back then, you were all talking about how great that was. Like, at the end of the day, and at least until for the next year or two, teams need money. And Absolutely. Especially hard. We're talking... Like especially hard. Yeah. We're talking, like, title sponsor money. Mm. Like, his dad's company is going to be on the car next year money. Yeah. So, this isn't, like, a, you know, oh, we're going to give you, like, 20 million or 30 million. Like, this is a couple hundred million pounds. Like, this is pretty much Mazepin's dad paying Haas to give his kid a good shot. And they've got that much money. Like, they don't want him to be driving for a team that's just going to completely languish. Like, they obviously want to try to put some money in. And it wasn't too long ago that Haas were finishing fourth in the constructors. So there's definitely... There was something there in the past. Whether or not they can recreate that form is another thing entirely. But, yeah, they've... They're one of the, you know... Like you said, there'll definitely be some headlines next year from Haas, whether it's Mick Schumacher just being an absolute gun mm. or Mazepin fucking driving somebody off the road. And yeah, allegedly Haas, like you've seen them kind of almost get slower as the year has gone by. So allegedly they've been preparing for next season for a while now. They're a bit sick of being back markers. They want to make the leap. They want to leapfrog Alfa Romeo and kind of get back to that. I guess bottom of the midfield pack status, mm-hmm. and just a really strange story I saw this morning. So, in response to the new COVID budgets that a lot of these teams are kind of operating under, Ferrari are transferring a lot of their staff to Haas, um, including really? yeah, including their former head of chassis engineering, Simone Resta, and they're building a new like hub factory in Maranello. Where these where these staff will work for Haas, like um, permanently or just yeah, like permanently. So they're just transferring their staff to Haas, and they won't be they won't be allowed to work for Ferrari anymore. It'll be like full on, which sounds dodgy as fuck. But um, yeah, pretty interesting. To see. It's, it's you know theoretically Haas gets bigger, they get more they get more men involved and. Will hopefully be able to run a bit of a tighter ship and build a better car with all this money they're getting. And then what happens to Ferrari if they're just offloading all these blokes yeah, it's to weird. another team? That's so weird. It's weird. It's a weird story. Look it up. Like, I only saw it this morning. I haven't looked into it that much. It's very strange. Yeah, because yeah, that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like, especially mm. like a team that is like you know technically your competitor. Yeah, I but guess. they're not. They're not like a Red Bull Alpha Tauri whereby they're like joined at the hip, you know. Uh, I think there was the model in question in the video, in the Mazepin video, came out and said publicly that, you know, 
the two of them have been friends for a very long time and that's just some sort of joke that they play on each other. But, you know, she was probably paid to say that. Yeah, so I was looking into that more. Um, like, she deleted that and then, like, she... Before she said that, she followed like followed him on social media, and then after she said that, she like unfollowed him again. Okay. Um, and then she's since come out and said that like you know that that wasn't like you know that she didn't appreciate what happened, and that like she actually wasn't like all for it and stuff like that. So it okay. looks like she was just paid off or like you know told to you know keep her mouth shut. And um, he's deleted all of his tweets on his Twitter and stuff now, so there's like no post history like at all. Yeah, um, Haas are probably like like Haas has already had the internal discussions with him, and they probably said to him like you know, like all F one drivers like you know have a PR manager like they will handle your social media like you don't touch it anymore. Yeah, um, stop being a fuckhead. Stop being a fuckhead. <laughs> stop being a fuckhead. Yeah, because at the same time, like even though he is you know he does have a lot of money, um, you're still being offered an opportunity that is very rare. Absolutely. Well, hopefully, Gunter can keep the men in line. And he's a good driver as well. Like yeah, he's, he's you know, shown that he's definitely got Absolutely. some pace. But you know, people are already saying, like in all you know, all the F one social media communities, that you know, Mazepin hasn't even like raced yet, and he's already the most hated driver on the grid. Yeah, yeah, literally by a country mile. I'll take the pressure off. You've got Max. the guy that's probably the most loved, fucking yeah. driver on the grid, like you know, Mick, like Michael yeah, Schumacher's so. son. Literally. So it's going to be an interesting Ging and Yang for next season. Um, okay. Whether or not Haas are going to be competitive again remains to be seen. Like, I think if, you know, if either Mazepin or Mick have similar performances to what Charles had at Sauber, like, you know, the occasional top 10 finish, like maybe... Oh, pressure on Carlos Sainz five, straight away. Um, that'd, be, that'd be fantastic, you know? Um mm. But otherwise, um, yeah, I think like they've got their money locked down. It seems for a little bit with Mazepin, which is great because it looked like Haas weren't going to be around for too much longer um, with how things were going. I mean, at least how Drive to Survive sort of made it out to be. No, it's in, in the same way that if Yuki performs well, like Perez will be under pressure. Like if Mick Schumacher performs really well, Carlos Sainz will have to, you know, keep his head on a swivel. Oh, definitely, in that sense, because he's he, you know. It's Michael Schumacher's son. Like he will drive for Ferrari one day. You'd have to think. We'll, we'll wrap it up with the last team on the grid to talk about, and that's a bit of Williams action. They finished the season with zero points for the first time in their history. Oh, really? This is the first time. Yeah. Okay. I'm surprised that this wasn't more times that yeah. this has happened. Yeah. They they got one point last year, zero points this year. Which which sounds pretty bad, but you got to remember they got some new investors. There's some exciting stuff going over at Williams. They feel good. It feels good from a, from a distance. They feel like they're going in the right direction, and they've signed this new guy to be their CEO. What what's his name? It is Jost Capito or Yost Capito as the new CEO. That's probably I probably butchered that, but there you go. He has uh, four decades in motorsport and um, the automotive industry experience, working for Porsche, working for Ford. Um, he recently won consecutive drivers and constructors titles over four years in the World Rally for Volkswagen. And he worked for Sauer in the mid-'90s, and he worked for McLaren in 2016 before they reset everything and brought in Zach Brown. So 
he's got a bit of you know a bit of history. He's got a pretty good resume, and it looks good for Williams that he's the man taking over and, and kind of taking over the reins of the operation. And they could very well be on the rise next season. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed for George more than anything. Like, I don't know. Fingers crossed for. George. I don't know how not much. Not Nicholas more he can... Latifi. Not a Latifi fan. Nah, not really. <laughs> I just worry what's going to like that they like they you know clipping the wings of a great young talent that by the time he actually gets to a good team he's just going to have the yips. I think we saw when he raced for, for Mercedes that's not the case. Like he's still got he's got that hunger. But two more years of driving at Williams could fucking could turn him around. True. True, but as as we know, like Bottas will tank this season and they'll sack him and they'll uh, promote George Russell. It's it's written in the stars, Spencer. It's written in the stars. Well, that's the hope. <laughs> but knowing Valtteri Bottas, he'll cuck everybody and win the fucking championship. <laughs> he's. I don't think he's capable of that. Honestly, my uh, my tip Honestly. for Daniel Ricciardo to be champion in twenty twenty one still holds firm. Yeah, that's... it looks pretty good. Yeah, it looks fucking pretty good. damn right. It does. I, uh, I... <laughs> Australia's finally going to win the fucking Melbourne yeah. Grand Prix. That would be scenes. That's in March, yes? It's yes. It's in March. You got the, the yes. season opener? All right. Fucking write it in your notebooks, fellas. Write it down your calendar. Let's get let's get ready. It's going to be a fun, fun year. going to sweep it. We'll be back next week. Matthew Hume will possibly be back from his hiatus. We don't know. But uh, until then, this has been Rear of the Grid. Norse. Bang. <laughs>